Alright, what book have we been going through? Judges. Book of Judges. And tell me about our first judge. No. no. His name was Othniel. Othniel. Okay, and Othniel was the nephew of? Caleb, right? And remember, he won the girl, Aksa, right? Uh, and then he became the judge, and during his lifetime, people followed God. And when he died, they turned away, right? And this is the same thing. We see this again and again and again. And then we went to the next judge. Ehud. And he had the cool... Short sword, right? Oh yeah, left-handed short sword. Stuck in his, the yep. guy's belly, belly yep. fat. Stuck in the king fat, the fat of the king's the king belly. Fat. Yes, Eglon was his name, right? Ehud was the judge. Eglon was the king that he killed. Okay, and same thing. They took over. Uh, they beat the Moabites, which are all again those groups of people that the Israelites left. God said, clear out the land of Canaan, and it becomes the promised land for you, and get rid of all of those things, or they will be trouble for you forever. And they didn't clear them out, and they continued to be trouble. So in the book of Judges, each person rises up and fights against, some clear out um, some of these, these groups of people completely, other ones can't clear them out. Okay, and that is true about the next one, the Shamgar. Remember, he's the guy with one verse, and what does he do? Killed six hundred men with a stick. Yep, six hundred who with a stick? Philistines. Philistines. Okay, and that's one of those people that we see even later, after all the judges have gone through and several hundred years have passed, or couple hundred years have passed at least through the judges time period um, who is King David fighting the Philistines right Goliath is part of the Philistines they never <laughs> quite leave okay and even to this day there is a strip of land and if you have learned some of the Middle East um, uh, some of the Middle East terms of modern day, there's a couple of different strips of land that they have been fighting over back and forth and back and forth. One is the Gaza Strip, okay? And that is one of the original places of the Philistines. Okay, that is the, so God is still, to this day, his promise is good. You will have these people as thorns in their side. You will never be free from battling in this. The Golan Heights is another that's up in the, I believe, up in the northeastern part of their war tribes they did not get rid of, okay? Um, and then there are some other places down in the southern part of what is the northern part of Saudi Arabia, I believe. Uh, there's, there's a section that was supposed to really belong to Israel, and they never really cleaned it out the way they were supposed to originally, and God's promise, the Bible says, you will struggle with these people forever, and it's still true to this very day, okay? A couple thousand years later, a few thousand years later, several thousand years later, here we are, all right? 
still the same thing. God's promises are true and they are good. If he says this is going to be your problem forever, it is. All right? So, number three comes along. That's good. And then number four. Last week you learned about two judges. Deborah and... Not Deborah. And the guy that wasn't famous because he... Barak. Because he wouldn't do what God asked him to do on his own. He was afraid. Which you find amongst many judges is that they might be afraid. Some of them and many leaders might be afraid. But is their faith strong enough to step forward even to step although they have fear? Okay? And... Barak was. And because of that, Deborah said, you will not get all the glory like someone else of he who would, you know, be a judge over Israel. You'll share it with a woman. Did she mean her? No. Who'd she mean? Because who killed the leader? Sisera. Remember the tent peg? Yeah. Oh. Sisera was running from him, from the army, and that was the leader. And he went, and this woman put the guy to sleep, gave him warm milk, and while he was asleep, the leader, she took a tent peg and drove it through his head, oh, right yeah. to the ground. All right? Who was it? JL. JL. Okay? So we see God uses these people. Okay? And JL was a woman in a tent that the guy happened to stop by and say, I'm trying to get refuge. She says, oh, I'll give you refuge. Come right in and lay down and sleep. Here's some warm milk. Oh, it'll be great. Cover you right over and whack one head. Right through his head, right into the ground. Killed him. One big whack. Apparently she had been practicing with her hammer. Okay. <laughs> so you have these people, and when God calls someone to do something, he means it. Now we kick into a new person uh, this week, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. All right, and we're going to start with the same story, because when Deborah and Barak are gone... The people turn against God. So Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Let's read that to begin with, please. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. Midian. Okay. So Midian is the new oppressor. Keep going. Seven years. Great job. (laughs) And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Okay, so the Midianites come and oppress them for seven years, and they run and hide up in the mountains, in caves and mountains, which is not where the best food is. Continue, please. Verse 3. And so it was when... Israel had sown the Amalekites. Oh, Midianites, sorry. Uh, came 
and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. Okay, so not only did the Midianites, but the Amalekites joined in, another group from Amalek, okay, and what were they doing when they came up against them? They did something, and you can slip right by it, one word, when they had sown. They're farming, right? So when they plant their seeds, all of a sudden the armies are coming through. Okay? And this is what they're going to do. Keep, continue, please. Verse number four. They encamped against them, destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and have no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. All right, so they're up in the mountains, and every time they go down, they try to plant. In, uh, in planting time, they plant, and when the stuff just grows up enough and gets going or is ready to harvest, in come the Midianites, and they take everything. And they destroy everything every year. Okay? So that leaves nothing for the Israelites, nothing for their cattle, nothing for their flocks. So they are beginning to starve. Seven years they do this for. Okay? Continue, please. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude. For both they and their camels were outnumbered, and they entered into the land to destroy it. All right. And there it is. They just released their animals on their fields. Eat it all right down to the, to the ground. And then nothing grows back. Pick up, please, verse number six. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Verse seven, please. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. Verse eight, please. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. All right, so. God brings a prophet. We don't know the prophet's name. We don't know if it's a man or woman. Never do we find out. God has raised up people where we need to. Wherever he needs them, but he, he sees a need. People are starving. They finally, after seven years, decide to cry out to God again. Okay? They are oppressed for seven years and they decide to cry back out to God and say, God, we cannot do this without you. And yet seven years ago, they had just turned away. It is very interesting to just note that so often we do not respond to God as groups, as society, as families, as individuals until we have hardship. Whatever that hardship is, whether it's a sickness or it's uh, poverty or it's loss of something or oppression or bondage, whatever it is, we do not reach out to God normally until that happens to us and then we say, this is hard, I can't do it. You've heard people say, I had to hit rock bottom before I could go back up. That means I wasn't listening to God until 
something really bad happened to me. And then finally, I started to say, I am, I'm alone in this, right? This is human nature. We see this cycle. We talked about the cycle with human nature, and it happens every time. All right, so who is he going to call? Verse number 11, please. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat you under... Her. Huh? You skipped her. Didn't you? Oh, oh man, I'm sorry. Good job. <laughs> and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Jos Joash. Joash, the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winterpress to hide from the Midianites. All right, so here it is. There's an angel that shows up. Okay, the angel shows up under the tree and meets Gideon. And what is Gideon doing? He's hiding by a wine press. And a wine press uh, is essentially a great big vat, probably made out of stone because of that's what they had there. They would hew out a big section of stone. And they would have a hole or a, a funnel kind of out of one side of it, and it would be pitched. And they would put all of the grapes or the olives. They did an olive also press the same type of way. But essentially a wine press, they put the grapes in it, and they get inside and crush them all with their feet. Okay? And when they crush them all with their feet, that was done up until probably 50 years ago, okay, to make wine the old style way. Uh, people would do it. They hope they wash their feet, but if they didn't, whatever, right? <laughs> Maybe it's part of the flavor, right? So they get inside. <laughs> they get inside and they crush it. And they literally would have kind of a party at the time and dance in there and music and all that when it was a good festival. Now, Gideon is hiding, and he's threshing. So what is threshing? Is it like, like the wheat? Like they like separating the something? Separating oh, are you throwing it in the air? So, yes, it you're, away? you're separating what you want to keep from the chaff, the wheat from the chaff, okay? The chaff, you kind of throw it in the air, and it blows away the chaff, because that's the light part, and the heavy part, which is the kernels of wheat, supposed to come back down. So you kind of throw it up. So he's inside or hiding by this block of stone. And why is he hiding? From the Midianites. Because they're coming to get any food. So where did he get it from? He harvested it and now he's hiding it. He probably had somewhere tucked away, not a part of a big field, or maybe what tiny little bit was left out of a corner that the Midianites didn't send all their camels and everything on and eat and crush down and destroy and get rid of. He f he's finding little bits that were missed. And he's putting it in there. Because that's all that's left. And he's hiding because he's afraid they're gonna, somebody's going to be up around and see him and come down and take what he has. All right? So he is not necessarily known for his bravery, but 
Verse number 12, please. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. All right, what's valor? <laughs> Bravery, okay? So, here you are, hiding from the enemy, you know, like that. And the angel comes and says, Oh, mighty man of bravery. <laughs> right? He's not feeling it. Gideon's not feeling it that day, no doubt. But this, the angel of the Lord, and we'll, we'll come back to that. The angel of the Lord <coughs> says this to him. All right? You're, you're a mighty man of bravery, and there he is hiding, just picking up the scraps and hiding. Well, he's not feeling it at all, okay? But why does he have a different point of view than the angel? Doesn't the angel see what he's doing? Is the angel misinformed? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Guess it not. And what does the word angel actually mean? And angel just means messenger. Okay. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> so he's got a message, right, from God. Okay. And the angel, we will see, just has a different perspective uh, than Gideon. Gideon is seeing what is Gideon's life. He's grown up, and he has seen oppression. If he's a young man for at least half of his life or so, maybe a third of his life if he's 20, okay, seven years they've been oppressed and he has no reason to think anything else is any different. Ever since he's been a young man, he's lived in this oppression where the Midianites come and steal it, they try to plant crops, every year the Midianites come and take it. Okay? So... He comes and says, so Gideon knows his, his perspective is, uh, I have an enemy, and they are strong, and the only thing I can do is hide. That's what I can do. <coughs> I can't defeat them. And the angel of the Lord has a different perspective. He looks at it and says, Here's God's plan. Okay? You think God's plan is going to happen? Yep, it's going to happen. Right? And within God's plan is the Spirit of God. Do you think the Spirit of God is powerful? Yes. Yep. Within that sits Gideon. And when God says, you're the guy, I'm picking you. God looks down through and says, my plan is this. I accomplish it with my spirit through Gideon. So God says, success. I see what you can be with the spirit of God. And with the spirit of God, I see a man of bravery. Now stand up. <laughs> you don't need to hide anymore and do what you're doing. We will see that Gideon is still 
afraid. He is afraid. As you would be if you've had an army come and steal everything that you have, and that's what you've known, right? For seven years, there's been no relief from this army. And so Gideon is afraid, and he says, well, um, I don't, I don't know exactly what you think, but this isn't the way it's been, Mr. Angel. Verse 13 and 14, please. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord will be if the Lord will be with us, why then is all this Befollows and where beyond his miracles, uh, which our fathers told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up from from Egypt? Egypt, and uh, but now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the the Midianites. So, hey, Mr. Angel, I have been living here. I don't know where you've been, but I've been living here. And people have been telling me all about way back when God brought us out of Egypt. Wasn't it grand? He did miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He brought us through and fed us manna for 40 years. And then when we came across the Jordan, the Jordan split open and we crossed as an army. And the walls of Jericho, we marched around them and they came down. And it was a miracle after miracle after miracle. And I don't know where you've been, but I've been living here and there's no miracles here. I'm scraping together a little scrap of food so myself and my family can survive. And I'm not feeling it from you and all of the things that you say so you can call me brave, but I don't feel it. Where are those miracles? Where'd they go? Verse 14, please. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go this in thy go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Alright. <clears throat> go and do it. He didn't even answer other than I'm gonna do something right now through you. And again, God's view, God's view is this, right? I'm looking, my plan is this, my spirit does this. I don't even have to worry. I can do it through any vessel I want, and I choose you, Gideon. I choose you. And so, he's like, well, <laughs> okay. And now, he's a little bit unsure. Maybe I misheard that. Do you really have power? I've never seen the power that you're talking about. So what he says is, why don't you stay here, Mr. Uh, Angel, because I want you to know I'm nobody. I am of the tribe 
uh, the lowliest tribe, right? I'm out of a really, really lowly tribe called Manasseh. Manasseh is not even a full tribe. Manasseh is called a half tribe. Joseph had two sons. Joseph had, he was one of 12 brothers, all of which were called the tribes of Israel. But Joseph never took on the name of a tribe of Israel. There's no tribe of Joseph. His two sons were given that honor and they were both called half-tribes. So together they made one tribe, right? Because they were sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So he's one of one person out of a half-tribe. The nobody tribes. The tiny tribe. Okay? Of Manasseh, he says, and not only within that, we're a poor family from Manasseh, that's why I'm scraping together the food that I can. And not only are we a poor family, I'm the lowest and least in my whole house. I'm nobody. But God doesn't care about all of those things. In fact, he's like, good. I want you to know it wasn't because you were full of money, full of power, full of wealth, full of position. I want you to know that anything that happens in your life via God is because of God's power and God's power only. And oftentimes God chooses what we would call an underdog, right? Somebody that has no chance of being the top person. They may not be full of talent or they may be full of talent. But God doesn't pick somebody that necessarily has all position and power and everything because God gets the credit when you're a nobody. And he can say, I pick you. He doesn't look across and say, well, we need somebody with some, with some strength and power. We don't need that. When you got God on your side, that's all you need. Just belief that he could do it. And Gideon struggled with that. And so Gideon said, let me go and get you something to eat. Now, it's interesting. In one of the verses we read, it said the angel of the Lord. In one of the other verses, it said the Lord said this to him. One of the verses we just read. Who is this? Is it like Gabriel? Is it another unnamed angel? Or is it somebody else? So I'm going to tell you that what most people think, because it does reference him as the Lord, and you'll see a little bit later why, people think that this is what's called a pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, this is Jesus coming down from heaven for a short visit <coughs> before he came to be born as a baby. Jesus has always been in heaven from the very beginning, from eternity past. And can he come down and visit whenever he wants? Sure he can. And so he comes down to talk to Gideon. This is Jesus 
the anointed one, Christ, that comes down and says, I'm going to have a conversation with Gideon. So Gideon says, I want to go and make you something. Will you stay here? So he goes and cooks a goat and bread. Now that's not a five-minute thing because you don't have it sitting in a fridge because there aren't fridges, right? So you got to go kill a goat and you got to slaughter the goat and you got to start a fire and cook and make cakes. So he makes like these essentially rolls, makes a meal and brings out this meal. So Jesus sits and waits while he does it. He comes out and he offers it to him and he says, go put it on the rock over there. All right, go put it on the rock. Verse 21, And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and leavened cakes and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Poof, he was gone. Burned up the stuff that he put on the rock and then Gideon realized this wasn't just a person. This wasn't just anybody. It was God himself. And I'm in trouble because the Bible says no man can lay his eyes on God and not die because God is so perfect. But God, when Christ came down to earth, God, he veiled himself essentially in flesh so that you couldn't see totally his presence because when you stand in the presence of God as a human you can't make it you don't have enough goodness enough power enough strength to stand up there have been angels that were angels that Roman soldiers fell down dead in front of because they looked them in the face okay so God himself is powerful Gideon is worried and Gideon says Praise to God, I'm going to die. He says, you're not going to die. Because I've got something for you to do. And so, Gideon then is sent that night. Go into town. And there's a big statue of Baal. I need you to chop that statue. Pull it over with a set of oxen. Your dad's best oxen. You take your dad's best oxen up there. Pull over this huge wooden statue. It's huge towering thing. He goes, he pulls it down, he builds up in place of it a, a stone altar to God. He chops this log up, builds a fire with it, and sacrifices his dad's best ox. All for what God says to do. He's taken ten servants and he did it in the middle of the night just because he's afraid of what the townspeople would do to him. And then he ran back home and hid inside the house. And in the morning, people found this thing and the, the Baal uh, statue was burnt up and gone. And they were angry and they came marching to his father's house because it apparently had all the markings of, of Gideon. And Gideon's dad came to the door and they, we want Gideon. We were going to kill him. And his dad said, well, if he did it, 
and you're worried about this God named Baal, can't Baal defend himself? Isn't Baal powerful enough to defend, him, to defend himself? I mean, he couldn't topple over a statue that was powerful, right? With a powerful God? Won't he have his own consequences? And so they said, all right, we're going to leave him alone. And then God begins to work more and more through it. As Gideon's faith grows, God calls him. It says, by the Spirit, God blows it, or Gideon blows a trumpet. And so God's Spirit helps him. He blows a trumpet, and all of the people of the town all of a sudden come to start to fight under Gideon. He calls some of the tribes of Israel, and they come to fight. He gathers an army, 32,000 people. And you say, oh, that's a pretty good army. It is, except that it says that the Midianites had the Amalekites join them, and they were ready to beat him. And it says they numbered so big that you couldn't count them. The valley was full. Midianites and Amalekites. And God looked at the army and he said, too many guys. 32,000 is too many. Line them all up, Gideon, and ask them if they're afraid. And so he's like, okay, so line up 32,000 guys and he says, if you're afraid, just want you to know. And God says, tell them go home. 22,000 of the 32,000 walk away. Whoa! <laughs> God, man, this is not helping me, right? He thought he'd have a few hundred of them walk away. 22,000 say, we're afraid, we're going home. So he's got 10,000 left, and God looks and says, too many. And so he says, take them down by the river and watch them drink. And if they drink down on their hands and knees, out of the river like a dog, we're going to send them home. If they are watching and they cup the water and they drink it out of their hands and they're watchful people, we'll keep them. So Gideon's counting and counting and counting. All of a sudden, it's easier to count the people that are dipping and gathering. He's got 10,000 guys down on the river. 9,700 of them drink hands and knees got 300 left. God says, send them all home. Keep the 300. 300 guys? What good is this? And he says, tonight's the battle. It's evening. I want you to go down in the camp. <coughs> Walk in amongst the camp of the Midianites. Sneak in there and just listen. And so Gideon takes his servant, walks down in amongst the tents of the Midianites, and he hears some conversation. And the conversation goes like this. I had a dream last night. And the other guy says, what was it about? It was about a barley roll. Like a, like a muffin? Yeah, like a, a, a roll, like a muffin. And this barley roll, you should have seen it. It was in the hilltops. Okay, so it's a roll on the top of the mountain. Fantastic. And it rolled down the hill. 
Okay, <laughs> what's that? And it hit our tent, and the tent knocked right over. And the guy looked at him and said, I know what that is. That's Gideon and the army. He's going to come and destroy us all. We've all known it forever. Gideon's going to come and destroy us with this huge army that he has. And Gideon's listening outside the tent to this whole dream. And God says, I told you, I've got this under control. So Gideon marches back up the hill, gathers up his 300 men, gives them all a clay pot and a torch and a trumpet. Not a very good set of weapons. Even with an army of 300, you'd think you'd need cannons or something, although they didn't have any, right? Didn't even give them a sword. So give this, this clay pot and this torch and a trumpet. Count of three, in the middle of the night, we're going to shout out. We're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to smash the pot. And we're going to hold the torch in the other hand and we're going to shout for the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they do. And they don't even leave the mountaintops surrounding the valley where the Midianites are all gathered in. There's 300 guys up there. And the Midianites and the Malachites get up in the middle of the night and they're shouting, he's coming after us, they're coming after us, they're coming after us. And they mix up with the Amalekites and the Midianites and they're killing each other with their own swords. And those few people that are left run out and over the hills. The few people that don't kill each other, they run out and over the hills and Gideon says to the rest of the army, that went away home and anybody else, let's go after them. Let's go get them. And so they get them and they go and another tribe joins up with them and they finally wipe out all the Midianites. It's wonderful and God does great things and God does all sorts of blessings. Okay? And God delivers them from the Midianites. <coughs> And God blesses them during, during Gideon's life. But they come to him and say, Gideon, we want you to be our king. We want you to be the king. And he says, I, I'm not going to be the king, nor are any of my sons going to be your king. But I got something that you could do for me. You all got golden earrings. Many of them wore golden earrings. He says, just, I'll, I'll take those golden earrings. Gladly, they'll give them to him. They all take their earrings out, put them on the pile. Gideon takes that, and he builds a special ephod, it's called, which is essentially a vest. What is worn by the priests. It's a golden ephod, a golden vest. And that golden vest in a strange way, becomes a tripping stone to Gideon in his life. Now Gideon ends up having 70, yes, 70 sons, okay? Many wives and 70 sons. And many of the people that see this golden vest remember the glory days. They forget about God. 
But remember those glory days when God did such great things. And they start to worship the vest. It becomes a tripping hazard, essentially, for the rest of Gideon's life. Though he was a man of faith, and though you will find in the book of Hebrews, he is outlined for his faith. You will find he and all of these other people are humans. And they have points of failure. And they have struggles. And they don't do everything quite the way that they should. And so to look to that and understand God works through us wherever we are in our life. He wants obedience from us. And you will get the most powerful work done through God. The miracles, the amazing things, the more obedient that you are, God works and uses you more. But we're still humans. And so understand immediately after Gideon dies, what does Israel do? They go back and serve other gods right again. Right? It is so important to turn our hearts to God, to keep our hearts on God. And leadership is really important for all of God's people. You see again and again, people stick with God until that leader dies. And then many people fade away, turn away. There's something in the human heart that <coughs> craves leadership, needs leadership to keep going. Somebody to run out in front of them and say, I will go do this. Right? And so it's important as we see the book of Judges, we see Gideon, his story, though he passes away, Next week, we pick up another piece because it's not quite done yet. Something very unusual happens, all right? One of Gideon's sons, a story next week. Thank you very much.